today, today, I get a little emotional. And I finally got someone to answer my question or ask me a question so I can answer it. So I started the talk. I started the debate. I did the first part. Let's talk shop. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk Shop, where today I want to talk about my feelings. I want to discuss my feelings. Um, you know, when I started this podcast, I didn't see it heading in the direction that it's heading. Not not that it's a bad direction it's heading. I do want to get to like more uh, relatable topics that, to listeners, try to create a, you know, get more people to listen uh, so that I can slowly start to, to, to mold minds, I you know, in a sense where they're thinking for themselves and not being told what to think. But, you know, I have... I have constant, constant conversations on social issues, political issues, all the current events, and it's tough. It's tough having those conversations, especially when you are, you're the one that doesn't think like everyone else or isn't thinking it like everyone else. And then sometimes you have conversations with people who are very open-minded and you appreciate those people because they listen to you. They may not change their mind. They may change their mind. And they might give you a little bit of insight or maybe not. But you can always appreciate people who try to understand who have an open mind. And then you do what you can against people who don't. I think lately, maybe the information that I give off sometimes to some people may come off insensitive or that I don't care. But the problem is, I do care. I may not have an emotional tone, or I may not show a, a very empathetic or sensitive side, but that doesn't mean I don't feel empathy or am I empathetic towards people? You know, do I empathize? Do I relate? Do I have feelings? I do. I really do. You know, um, I can't even watch the news anymore. I've stopped watching the news for I don't know how long. Every time you turn on the news, there's a baby being kidnapped. There's a baby dying. There's kids being kidnapped and dying. There's, a, you know, an armed robbery or accident. It's it's like if the news is an hour, it's 60% bad news, 10% good news, sports, and then weather and traffic. That is the news entirely. When you watch news every night, what do they talk about? You know, and then there's probably some light on politics, depending on which news you use, is how the information is portrayed to you. So I get emotional. That's why I can't watch the news because it makes me upset or sad. You know, I've I've before I where I am today, I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be one of the, you know, goofy, fun males trying to mold minds to be independent and think for themselves. Maybe I missed my calling. Maybe it's not too late. I can I can always go back and try it. Uh, schools, the school money and time, uh, at this point in my life, I don't have, but maybe I will. I don't know. And at the time I was going to school, I, like I got a job that paid better than schools. So 
I needed a job that paid at the time that could take care of me financially. And that's 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 the road I that's the road I chose. And I was gonna to go to school to be a kindergarten teacher. So imagine me being your kid's kindergarten teacher. I just wanna let you guys know, I don't know how like my emotions are gonna to go today. So if you got kids that listen to this podcast, I know I don't do a lot of swearing. I don't do a lot of swearing myself, but today might be a day where I might snap. So just the kids are in the room, you know, there's an MA warning next to this podcast. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get to it. Uh I think people t- test me and my feelings towards black people and my feelings towards people in general. But see, th- as I get older and I have kids that are mixed, I've learned that I can't separate them. I can't separate black from white, white from Hispanic, Hispanic from Asian. Because if I'm in a convenience store, and let's say I'm going into the gas station in a, in a, in a, anywhere, I don't care. You want to say poor neighborhood? Think of a poor neighborhood gas station. Think of a neighborhood in a, in a good area. And I'm in a gas station and a man comes in and and the clerk behind the 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 counter is there. You know, he's a Middle Eastern person. And then, and I'm saying that stereotypically because a lot of the places I go, there's always a Middle Eastern person. And the gas station that I've been in, okay? That's not, may not be anywhere else. So I'm just trying to paint a picture. You walk to the gas station, there's a Middle Eastern person behind the counter. And then a white man comes in. He's robbing the place. He gets what he wants, and he shoots the Arab person in front of me. I'm, I would be devastated. I would That would scare the shit out of me. One, because it could have been me. Two, there's a person dead because of the need or the wants and the lowness of a now criminal. That would have the same effect on me for any race, it could be a, it could have been a black person behind that counter. It could have been a white person behind that counter. It could have been an Asian person behind that counter, and it could have been a white, black, brown, any other person shooting. It has the same effect on me, as far as feelings go, as any as it would anyone else who sees that. There's no significance. There's no life over another life, as far as that goes. Now, if you want to wager, like who's more important, which is a crappy way of doing it. I tr- you know, I try not to do it, but let's say if I was a doctor and I had to save a kid's life or an old person's life, which you you know you don't want to ever 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 have to make that decision. But then I value a kid's life because they have the rest of their life to live, whereas an old person might be on their way out. It's a crap way of thinking. I don't want to think that way. But if you want to say how, if I'm measuring lives, that's where I would measure. I wouldn't measure it by color. So that's what I'll say at first. So. I know there was a recent shooting with a man that fell asleep in the in the, in the drive through at Wendy's, and and while he's in the drive through, the he's not responding. So the Wendy's called the police. The police come out, and then this is the story that, that I've been told um, so far. Of course, as time goes on, more information always comes out. So he's asleep. They they call the police. The police come. They're knocking on the window. They can't get in the car. The guy's not waking up. He finally wakes up. The police actually, from the from my understanding, sound very concerned for this man. Not 
that their their thoughts weren't negative first. They probably thought, oh, I hope he's not on drugs. I hope he's not in an overdose. I hope he's not having a heart attack. That's probably what they're probably thinking. I'm not. I don't know for sure. But then when they wake him up, he you know, he um he's out the car. They notice that he's drunk. So then they give him a breathalyzer. And as they give him a breathalyzer, they realize he is intoxicated. So they, you know, they, it's illegal. They go to arrest him. He doesn't want to be arrested. He fights. Takes a taser. You don't know the intent of people. And you especially don't know the intent of people who, are, who aren't even in their, their right mind, you know, if they're drunk. So the story, some stories say that he was running. Some stories say he turned and pointed the taser at the police officer. Either way, the police officer shot him. I don't know for sure. So I'll look into it eventually. But that was the first thing I heard. And and the man was killed. Of course, you. I don't want a man to die. I really, you don't, you don't want to hear about that. You, I, I'm like so fed up with it, but I'm fed up with police killing people in general. Now, there is a point where police officers have to choose between their lives or someone else's life. How do you get in that mindset? I mean, not like, how do you get in that mindset? Because it's survival, right? It's a survival instinct. If I pull the trigger, I kill you. You can't kill me. I'll live. I see another day. We all want to live. And none of us want to die, especially especially at a young age when we have so many things to live for, if we have something to live for. Because some of us have something to lose. I know I do. I don't know about everyone else, but I have something to lose. So if I get pulled over, I'm just going to cooperate. I might be a little but I'm just going to cooperate everything. So as long as they're respectful to me, I'm respectful to them. The minute they show attitude, but I'm always going to follow every single order to a T. I've seen lately that I don't trust the police officers to make rational decisions. But that's for everyone, not just black people. So I felt I feel bad for this man. I don't know if it, he was having a bad day, if just alcohol like just got the best of him, and it turned out to be his life. And that you know that sucks. When you think about that, like you know, did he have kids? You know, you know. Was you know was he doing something? Was he going somewhere? Because drinking, college kids drink, and some of them go out to be doctors and lawyers and all that kind of stuff. I've I've seen kids do like coke and 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 like all kind of other drugs, and then those are the ones I see later on in life, like as lawyers and whatnot. So, you know, some people live extremely, and they turn out okay. And this could have been that guy. I don't know for sure. I don't know yet. However, he there is an, uh, a downside. If he was drunk and Wendy's didn't call the police and the police didn't stop him, would he have made it home if he fell asleep in a in a drive-through? Like what could he have could he have hit somebody? Could he have ruined someone else's life? Could he still have ruined his own life? That's something I thought about too. I didn't think about it immediately, but after it's it said in my head, like after I found out this guy was drunk. That's that's what I thought about. The police weren't they didn't wake up that morning and said they were going to kill somebody that day. I don't I don't know if a lot of police wake up in the morning and say that. Especially with the numbers saying, police don't wake up every day planning to kill somebody. I bet they want to just go to work, 
have give out a few speeding tickets, tell people to slow down and come home to their wife and kids or their dogs or their pets and or their homes or apartments or whatever they do on their little side hobbies. They probably wake up and want to do that. They probably don't wake up wanting to stop criminals. They just know they have to do it because that's what they signed up for. So I empathize with the police, but at the same time, someone needs to hold them at a higher standard. And that's that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for someone to help else like let's talk to the police. Let's you know, my brother made a good point about how like doctors have to go to to, to school for 10 years, lawyers are like between five and seven years, like all these you know, everyone has a four-year college. Why don't police have that kind of degree? And why isn't psych psychology like in the in the course? Why is I don't know how long the study is. I think it's like between a six month to a year to become a like training for a police officer. You can just sign up for it and they start training you. But do they do a psychic background check? And then, you know, like when you do something at work, people document it. You get a write-up. How many write-ups do you get to be a police officer before they let you go? Because I really feel like it's a, it should be like a, you know, a narrow window of what you get away with and how long you can get away with it. That's what I would be asking for. So for everyone who has thought maybe I've been insensitive, it's just the way it comes out. And then... The immediate reaction after after a police killing and no one really understands what happened, we, we we ruin other people's lives. You say, oh, Wendy's burned down. Well, they can buy another building. What are the chances that that Wendy's is going to build in that community again after that happened? What are the chances? So now they're taking how many of our employees were working at that Wendy's and those employees have lost their job. The person, because it's a franchise, so whoever, unless the franchise owns it, a person owns it, a part of the franchise. So are they going to take that Wendy's and move to a better area or a different area where that is least likely to happen? And then, therefore, those jobs for those people will never come back. And now you have an abandoned, another abandoned area inside of a major city, inside of a a neighborhood that may take time to rebuild. We don't think about that. We think, oh, we lose a life. We need to destroy something. That's what I'm emotional about. Like, no, you have taken away from the fact that we just lost another person. And now you've ruined more lives. Why? That is not even justice. This is not the wild, wild west. You can't just go burning down shit because you're mad at at how an outcome of something happened. But I guess, I guess when you say, oh, we lost somebody. And then they go burn something down. That's stupid. Why is someone like, oh, oh, we can't lose a Wendy's? No, we can't lose a Wendy's. It's jobs. Jobs pay for stuff. People got bills. People have bills. People have kids. How are you supposed to feed? People stopped at that Wendy's. You know, I remember when I worked at Wendy's. And it was this old couple. They used to come into Wendy's every day. And we knew them by first names. I can't remember them now. Because it was like 20 years ago. But they come into Wendy's every Monday. So every Monday night when I was working nights, they would come in. And we they get the same same meal every time, and when then when the husband had passed away, the wife kept coming, and we all felt a certain way because she didn't have her husband anymore, and we don't get to see him anymore. We, you know, we you find a way to f- like stuff like that, or you don't even find a way. You just like stuff like that. You look forward to seeing some people at the same time every week. You know, what if that Wendy's was home to somebody doing that? Maybe those old people went to Wendy's just because of the family they created there. And I'm saying that across a broad spectrum. I'm not saying just this Wendy's. But anytime we destroy something that doesn't belong to us, we don't know what comes with it. 
We say, oh, they'll get other jobs. Why do you say that? How do you know they're going to get other jobs? Especially right now with everything that's going on. COVID-19 shut down everything. How do you know somebody want to start a, another business and they can't? Because they they, they 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 can't get the state to open up or the state to be less strict or they got to follow new rules and they don't, they're not ready to follow those codes. How do we know that? We don't. So stop saying stuff like that. Be realistic. You want to show some empathy for death? Show some empathy for life too. Had to bring that down a notch. Anyways, um, this might be a long episode. I don't mind that it, it runs a little bit today. So if you have nothing to do, I guess keep on listening. If not, you can always stop it and listen on another day. So um, I took a lot of notes over the last couple of days. I've just uh, been writing stuff down. Every time it pops into my head, anytime I start to feel uh, anger, so, uh, also, I want to touch on Black Lives Matter. You know what? I'm going to say it, and I've, I've said it to some people already. Black Lives Matter, when I read about the person who started, it seemed like her heart was in a good place. It seemed like, you know, and I read about her. She was um, she was from Oakland, um, and this is from the internet. So, you know, maybe information isn't entirely accurate. But she was from Oakland. She had a Jewish stepfather and African-American mother. That's how she described it. I would just say black mother, but she had an African-American mother. She wanted, she held all political parties responsible for everything. She didn't just say like, oh, the Democratic Party is a good party for us. You know, she she bashed the Clintons. She bashed Bush and she's bashing Trump. Now, not everything she says is like entirely accurate, but you can respect it because she's staying consistent with where she's at with, with things. Um, but she ultimately just wanted to change the, the she wanted black people to be better but I feel like that's not where they are now um let's take it back so like you remember you know if you were if you went to a college or you just know about it fraternities and sororities they're like these brother and sisterhoods where if you were to go into the professional world and you're like this part of this frat or sorority and you, the, the a boss or a person that's hiring in this place will get you in just because you're part of that 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 fraternity or sorority, you know. So I would think if Black Lives Matter were serious about what they were doing, because I, I keep Googling, I keep looking up stuff, I keep trying to find stuff. I'm, I'm thinking, have they donated to communities? Have they opened up any type of businesses? I mean, you could buy T-shirts from the website, but, you know, like I think... um. For example, I grew up in the Boys and Girls Club. The Boys and Girls Club had a significant uh, amount of influence on my life. And for everyone who I grew up in the Boys and Girls Club with, I know that that significance has also had, or that influence was significant to them. And I still keep in touch with a lot of these people. So and with the Boys and Girls Club, you know, they took in kids, and at the time I was in there, it was like you had to be six or seven to join, and then you couldn't be a member anymore, after, or it couldn't be part of the Boys and Girls Club after like 18. And our Boys and Girls Club uh, still allowed us to come every Saturday and play basketball. But anyways, they they had like uh, school programs. So I remember if you did really good in school, 
uh, you come and you do your homework at the Boys and Girls Club. You get these stars, you build up these stars, and they would, you know, they find a way to whoever was in support of the Boys and Girls Club. You could go to, like, I, rem- I met Grant Hill. I met all the Pistons. Um, we got to play video games with them at, like, Dave and Buster's one day. And it wasn't a lot of us. It was just the ones who did good in school. Like, it was rewarded for, for you know, trying to be a part of that. But they had so many of these these things that you can, these programs that you can get a part of to get you a, a foot in, uh, in the door somewhere or to keep improving or to be better. They have community centers that I, I you know, I used to go to community centers just to play basketball. I never did any other stuff. They have the, um, the YMCA. So has Black Lives Matter started one of those kind of community centers or organizations? Have they, have they funded one? I don't want to hear about some, you know, $10,000 building, building they built in whatever some, you know, urban city. I want to hear about uh, uh, from the money that I hear that they're getting. I mean, like everybody's donating into them now. Coke, Chase Bank, uh, you know, they're getting like millions and millions of dollars. But where is it going? Are they starting businesses? Are they helping communities? What are they doing? Somebody tell me, because other than protests, I haven't seen much of them. It's not like they're throwing it on the news like, oh, today Black Lives Matter opened up a, a major community center or a shopping mall or whatever in an urban area that was run down. They're trying to build it back up. I, I've heard that. Or maybe I need to dig a little deeper. It shouldn't be that hard to find that kind of information. though. They should be wanting that to be. They want to. They should want to project that. Secondly. If Black Lives Matter, why do Black Lives Matter only matter when Black people are being shot by police? And why does it only matter when white people are the people who shoot the people or shooting Black people? I want to see marches and protests about other brothers killing other brothers. I want to hear uh, we need to stop all the Black men from killing other Black men. We need to start having more Black men into and you know start a program where Black men are helping other Black men be better dads or better brothers. Why don't we have that? Churches do it. But Black Lives Matter has, has more money to do it. Where is the money going? That's why I think they're full of shit. But maybe someone's going to call me out on it and give me some, steer me in a direction where I can start to believe it. Because right now I'm just, not, I'm having a hard time believing it. And I think about the numbers. T- tell me a time where you wrote a paper for you college educated people out there. Or if you even were in high school, you wrote a paper and you gave it to your teacher. But let's break it down. So you had to do a research paper. So the research information that you had to get, you had to draw conclusions based off facts. You couldn't talk out the side of your neck on a paper. It wouldn't be credible that way. Where does that stop? I meant to say... When does that stop? When did that stop? Um, so when I when I do my podcasts, I bring up a lot of factual information, and I base it off statistics. Uh, and I've told this to many people before. So, and even in my podcast, it's, it's like a science. You do a study, and you study. You take numbers. You track things. You watch people all this goes into how you get how can you prove what you're saying is true so i have to use stats to prove what i'm saying is true can you say what i've said is false i mean the only thing i'm saying are things that i've 
I'm reading from credible resources. So that means they're doing, they're reporting their research and their numbers, and I'm taking their numbers to prove my point, my points. I do not want to sound like a robot. I, I, I don't want to sound, uh, how do you, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm all numbers in this. Here's my emotions. I feel like from what I observe says, says how I say what I want to say from my emotions and whatever I observe. So then I'm thinking like, well, is it true beyond my own eyes? So then I go look it up and sometimes it isn't and sometimes it is. So <clears throat> those are, that's where I am with, with, with BLM. BLM. Um, on Facebook, um, a person said, do black lives matter? And my question is, why don't black lives matter? Like what 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 do you say right now that says black lives don't matter? Why would you, what what do you have to say that black lives don't matter? And all right, so I'm I'm just gonna pretend to be a robot. If there are if the population of black is thirteen to fourteen percent, that's about I'm I'm just trying to do this off the top of my head. I'm not certain about this. Let's say it's like. 40 million people. So if um, 40 million people, black people, are alive and 300 of them have been killed by the police in one year. I mean, you're going to have to break out a calculator for me. What percentage is 300 of 40 million? Now, don't get me wrong. That is a lot of people to be dying. By the hands of the police. I just want to, when we say, is that enough people to have died to say that lives don't matter? Because I think 600 of the other people were white. So let's double the amount of black people. Let's say that, um, but when the police have killed these people, these people were making the police to make a choice. Now, I get it. Maybe in the reports, they may have changed some information. It's perspective, you know, you know, it's his story versus his story kind of a thing. So maybe maybe the, the reported number could be inaccurate, but it wouldn't be far from accurate. And then I, you know, I've listened to podcasts and people have consistently talked about, like, what, what, how many people were killed last year by the police, and how many of those people were armed versus unarmed. So if you're armed, then you are, the police are in danger, in a simple form. Maybe not the case in every situation. Obviously, you can't speak on what you weren't. I wasn't there to observe, and I don't know every single case. So what is nine people who were killed unarmed? Over 300 people that were killed. And what percentage of that is part of our population? What I'm saying is, if there was someone that was systemically trying to eradicate the black population or keep them under control or profile them, the numbers aren't proving that hypothesis. The stats aren't proving it. 
Let me hit you with another number. And this is why I'm saying I need to see more of this versus this. This is what I really get emotional about. Having this conversation with my brother. And I think he kind of got what I was saying. I'm not really sure. We're family. We're brothers. He cares about me. I care about him. I love him. He loves me. So we don't we don't have a lot of animosity towards each other just because we have differences. But I don't know if it would have been the same if it was a person that I wasn't related to. So I've been a bit against abortion since I can remember when I learned what abortions were. I don't even know how I got there. You know, like my parents never talked to me about it. Of course, they talked about not pregnant, you know, getting girls pregnant. You know, what what it what it changes with you, what happens to you. You know, your your early, you know, adolescent life becomes an adult life and everything has to change. So they, they gave me that conversation, but they never talked about like abortion with me. They never planted in my head what are the they just never talked about it with me. And I have an older cousin who who's you know, he kinda took me under his his wing and, and showed me a lot of things and taught me a lot of things. And I think he had a very big influence on how I think about it. And he was talking to me one day and was telling, you know, I think I was like 17. He was telling me he had got a girl pregnant and he, she had got an abortion. And he was like devastated. And I think he was like 24 or 26 at the time. I can't remember how much older he was, but he's a lot older than I am. Maybe like six or seven years. And uh, so not a lot. But he was devastated and hurt. Because all he can think is, that's that's little me in there. That's that's my seed in there. That's that's somebody that I can help mold and change, make a difference. And she took that from me. I think that stuck with me ever since then. I've never been a part of that. I've never been on a program of taking lives, just because of that. And then as I got older, I was like, well, these are lives. These are these are babies are 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 just people who haven't been introduced to the the oxygen or the world yet. But they're still they're still people. They're just. They're little lives. They're little innocent lives. So I've been against it since I can remember. And then, I, you know, I stumble across this information about abortion. And I've had this conversation with people, and they want to tell me it's a, it's a women's right. Fine. Today, I am not going to get into that. But New York last year gave more birth or I'm sorry, killed more black babies than they gave birth to. You want to talk about what can it you know eradicate the black population? Stopping us from having kids. Why are we burning down Planned Parenthoods? How many babies have to be killed by Planned Parenthood in order for us to say Black Lives Matter? Let's go burn down a Planned Parenthood. Let's go protest against them. You know who I see at Planned Parenthood when I drive past them. Like old white ladies, old conservative white ladies holding up signs saying babies matter. They're, you know, religious women. That's what I see in front of those places. I don't see any black people standing outside. I don't see any BLM standing outside. So this, these people obviously care about black babies and they probably just care about babies in general. They just happen to know that most of the babies being killed are black. And that's a fact. 36%, 36%, so let me just say this, 7%, 7%, black women make up 7% of the population, 7%. Black women are 36% of abortions. 
But but no one's at Planned Parenthood. Where the Planned Parenthood's at? Go look them up. I did. A friend of mine told me that they're in majority black communities. And they are. Some cities have more than one. They're not in the in the gross ills or the gross points. You know, they're not in those parts of the cities, of those cities, you know, not these, you know, wealthy. Why? Why aren't they out there? I, I mean, you might have a legit answer. I don't. You see what I'm saying? So if if we can take away lives like that and say that those lives don't matter, but a person, and please don't make, misinterpret what I'm trying to say, but a person committed a crime, whether they are they unintentionally were killed or intently killed, in a sense where, where they, you know, making the police shoot at them or defend themselves and in turn they were shot and killed or were they just in a you know just bad choices at a, at a bad time and were they killed but that happens and we're ready to march but it's not at the other it's not the other end so until they can show me that until BLM can show me that where their heart truly is and it's really, really trying to kill systemic racism, because if you want to talk about a systemic racism, that is it right there. That's it right there. But the media doesn't talk about it. And actually, one of the popular subjects of political debates, as far as it, but that we don't hear about, is defunding Planned Parenthood. But Trump wants to do it. Now, maybe Trump's not thinking about black people. He's just thinking about babies. But to black people, they should be thinking about it because less of us are being born because of Planned Parenthood. I just want to move on to that because that, that, that will get you choked up if you get too deep into it. <clears throat> um, so one more, uh, two more things that I want to share with you is companies saying things companies saying that they care and that we need to do it to stop it can somebody out there tell me the 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 most racist company can you honestly say that there's a company and in their company logo is a hidden white hood or some type of affiliation to show that they are a white supremacist or a white nationalist can you show me that company? I will believe you if you just, all you have to do is show me facts and prove it to me. I'm not, because I'm, I, I've looked it up. I haven't found it, but of course, you know, they might be out there. I just don't know about it, but you may. So I just want to hear. If you know, let me know. Other than that, I don't know. I looked up the, the, like the, you know, quality companies to work for and what their CEOs were. Um, what was it? So, I tried to find, and it's kind of hard to do this math, but it just takes more time. But I tried to find like what part of the black population is working. So if we're 15, 14% of the population, what percent of a percentage of us is 25 up, 25 and up, and we're working? And what jobs are we working? Now I, I found um um a website that uh, what is it called? Uh, I wrote it down because I have a lot of notes everywhere. The Bureau of Labor Stats. 
So I found that website and it shows you. Actually, you know, I'll get into that in a second. I just want to talk about um, before I go into the companies and if they're racist or not. I want to say that them, them putting out words is just a load of crap. They're just saying it to appease people so that it may not lose business or look like they're on the side of the, the right. The, they want to look on like they're on the good side. But actions speak louder than words. So you have to show that you are doing it in order to say that, in order to, to say that, like you, it's, if you're hiring black people, you don't, I don't think you need to issue a statement. If you're hiring Hispanic people, you don't have to issue a statement, you know, like obviously any job you have is going to have more white people than black people because they're the larger population. It's just how it's going to be until we get, until it's 60%, 60% white and, you know, 55% black. There's never going to be 50% of a business has both these. It's just, it can't work that way right now. The numbers can't, you can't create that kind of stuff. You have to understand that. So if you want equality in the jobs, maybe we can talk about equal pay, but I haven't found information about how, you know, a white person makes more than a black person on pay as of right now. Of course, I knew that about 20, 10, 10 20 years ago. Yes. But now can you prove that? I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about our wages, but can you prove it now? <clears throat> <clears throat> um, and before I, I, I switch gears, um, being quiet is complacent right now. I disagree with that, but that's what the saying goes. Being quiet is complacent. I stand on a, a, in a certain, I have a certain view and my view isn't like the majority of the people who look like me. And as I continue to not, to continue to speak on these things, the more criticism and anger that I generate from people, the more judgment, the more names I get called. Like I'm, um, I'm not multifaceted. I, I'm a bit of a bigot. Uh, I'm an uncle Tom. Like these are names. I'm not calling anyone a name. I'm not. I'm just saying, wake up. I'm just saying, look up information before you speak on it, because the numbers don't say don't support the the stats don't support what you're saying, but the stats support what I'm saying. So, but I'm getting called all these things. Can you? I'm trying to stay strong through. It's been tough, you know. I even wrote an apology to my family, like, hey, I am. I don't mean to sound it's. I don't mean to sound mean because I honestly do care about people. I mean, if anyone who works with me knows, I speak to everyone. There's not a person that I work with. Even if I don't like you, I speak to you. So, but for some people, they can't. They can't, if they feel a certain way, they can't speak up because if one, they'll be lying to themselves if they're true, if they're, you know, if they're a person with great integrity, they don't want to just lie, say things that they don't mean. They don't have, they don't feel the need to appease people, but then they don't want to catch the ridicule. And I think that's what the be quiet is complacent is trying to say. Like, say something so we can tell you, tell you that you're wrong. It's like, I don't want to be a part of that. I mean, I will, but I don't think other people do. And then if you, and then you don't want to be classified as a racist because look what's going on. People who are being, the city I live in is being called a racist city. For what? I live here. 
My neighbors are cool with me so far. So I haven't had any complaints. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm glad I didn't get out of control. I thought that I was definitely going to get um, really emotional. So, um, I feel like I missed a few things that I wanted to, to, to let out, but I guess those will come back and I'll just write them down and bring it back to you guys' attention. Anyways, I did ask a question on my last podcast is if anyone had proof of systemic racism and before, before I jump into that, um, the Washington Post posted an article. It's called, As Big Corporations Say, Black Lives Matter, Their Track rec- Records Raise Skepticism. So um, I, if anyone wants to look up the article so that you know I'm just like someone else is saying it now, they just send a Washington Post, which is a credible uh, newspaper. So um, like they have like really good journalists, if you want to check that out. Um, just because I, like I said, I've been trying to find information, positive information on Black Lives Matter, so I can stop saying such negative things about them. But I was unable to, and they—they're getting uh, such a great deal of money. I just want to hear what they're doing with the money. And I heard rumors that they like sponsor uh, or donate money to like a pretty much the Democratic Party. I don't want to believe that just yet. I mean, the people who say that it's happening hasn't been able to prove it, so I can't say it until I find they find proof or if I find proof, which is be harder for me to find proof because I'm not I don't have that kind of resources. Um so it's just an interesting article. But anyways, I asked um can anyone today tell me about you know examples of systemic racism? Um I only got one person. I don't I don't know, maybe I don't have enough listeners. I mean I posted on Facebook. I asked um, people put it on my Snapchat, put it on my Instagram. So, but I got one person to to respond. So I guess a lot of us don't. Even if you don't listen to my podcast, I guess a lot of you don't think that there's there must not be it. So why are we talking about it if it's not? Or maybe it just you didn't have the time to to ask or take the time to look it up. Because uh, obviously you know who I am, so I'm gonna need proof. Anyways, as I'm playing with this pen, um, I did have that question. So I'll play the question for you, and then uh, I'll see if I can answer it for him. So I know you had asked about systematic racism um, and that you didn't have any proof, but I'd say one of the biggest proofs that you have um, would be the school systems. Uh, If you notice the school systems in the black community, they don't have the proper funding, um, especially in the Detroit area. They are shutting down left and right because they don't have the funding and teachers don't want to teach in those areas because of the lack of funding. Also, when you think about businesses and corporations, who sits on their chair, who sits on their boards, um, it's the same as the government. Um, There's not an equal level of you know black politicians black judges things of that nature or, or even hispanic because um, if you notice any time that something like that is launched it's, it's a big thing when you have um someone of hispanic descent or someone black or someone um of of uh muslim or, or arab or things of that nature it's a lot larger and a lot more um area towards it just because it's not the common denominator of a white person all right so I think it's 
I think it was a good thing because I think if well, how do you hold people people back? Well, you can use education to do it. You know, if you know, you know, the predominant black areas are have obviously are black public um, use the public school system. How would you, you know, you could use the public school system to hold them back. But I did a podcast about um, schools earlier, and that um, a large population of a large, a large uh, the the population of black students going into higher education is growing, and it's at a good percentage, in my opinion, right now, based off what it was 15 years ago. So, but let me let's just break this question down. So, what makes the school system part of a systemic racism? You know, and I don't want to spend a, a whole lot of time. But what's the first thing you would consider that would cause um, cause it to be a part of racism? You know, I think the first thing we'd have to consider is money. So how are schools funded? Um, schools, to answer his question, schools are funded mostly by taxes. So local, state, and federal. Mostly local uh, taxes, and then like a little percentage of state and an even smaller percentage of federal. You um, and, and obviously his question made a strong reference to Detroit, because I looked up all schools, but I looked up, I just wanted to be more specific to address his question. But obviously, um, you know, Detroit's in Michigan, so it's a Michigan school, and Michigan school's funding is divided into two eras, Proposal A and Post-Proposal, and Post-Proposal A. So um, before Proposal A was passed in the state of Michigan, a majority of funding for state schools came from local property taxes. So in an average about 33 operational meals were assessed on the state equalized value, which is about 50% of the market value on every home and every property in the state of Michigan. Um, that made up about 80% of the total funding for all schools in the state of Michigan at the time. There, the remainder was made up from the things like sales tax. Um, I don't know if you guys remember when cigarette tax went sky high, uh, lottery revenue, indus- industrial, commercial facilities taxes. So, like, you know, when every time GM or, or Chrysler, they you know they their their plants um, ask for taxes um, uh, and the liquor. <laughs> so there's a, a higher liquor tax, which is probably why when I moved to Ohio, I figured liquor was a little cheaper. That's funny. So historically, uh, what happened in Michigan was that the law was passed that removed the ability for property taxes to pay for operational expenditures in schools and gave no replacement for how to still generate $6.4 million annually. That's $6.4 billion for schools in Michigan. That's a lot of money. Um, So in between, this is like 1993. So in between the passage of the law, um, Proposal A, um, the the legislator, uh, I don't remember who it was. I don't even know who it was. Um, I just looked up the the basics. Um, Had five months to come up with a new... Uh, plan complete from like a new proposal for schools for funding. Um, so in 1993 into 94, voters, so people who live in Michigan, voted 69 on a 31 margin, yes, on the following. And I wrote this down, so I'm going to read it to you. Those voters, voters voted to increase sales tax revenues from four to six percent. That's why the sales tax in Michigan is six percent, with a hundred percent of that two of that two percent to go to school aid funds. So every of the six percent sales tax that you pay, two percent go to school funding, an increase on 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 use of taxes. 
and an increase on the state education tax assessed on the taxable value of all properties to be set at six mils. Now I have no idea what the mills were, but um, then a new real estate transfer tax and then increase obviously on cigarette tax. Um, and this will all be used to increase the funding for schools for the, the loss of the $6.4 million. <sighs> all right. Um, moving on to, to be more specific. So an amendment to act was also passed, which limits the taxable value increase in the value of your home on your year-by-year basis on the rate of inflation of 5% or whichever it was less. I just want you to know, I don't. I didn't look up this number, but you have to actually have to pay, be a homeowner to um, pay property tax. So if you're renting, but you work in 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 Detroit or Michigan, and you're just renting a house, not to say there's anything wrong with people renting, but you're not paying a property tax. Even though Michigan is still getting a great deal of money, it would get even more money if more people were homeowners. All right. Um. <clears throat> Da, 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 that that was blah blah blah. That's all right. So that was just the proposals of what was passed from 1993 that still exists to this day. Um, but I'm going to really get into it right now. I feel like that part was boring. This part is what I really want to get to. So, um, do any of you remember when you when you attended public school and you remember when your your teachers or your principal or you know the pro professionals they you know tell you to be at a school a specific day so they can keep so they can they they tell you that you that the, the teachers and the faculty would say we get money for every student that is accounted for on this day so make sure you show up. That is for the per pupil spending. Um, the per pupil spending includes all costs associated with the district's operating costs over the regular school year. So that's for transportation, building, maintenance, salaries, blah blah blah, so on and so forth. Um, it's not the same each day or school district. So um, your reference to Detroit made me look up Detroit specifically. Uh, so I sh- let me just let sh- share with you what I found. So Michigan spills a little over eleven thousand dollars per pupil. Eleven thousand dollars per pupil. Um, that's Michigan. Detroit spends over fourteen thousand per pupil. That's three thousand dollars more than the other Michigan schools on average. So I was going to go down this conservative aspect, like I say. You know, I was going to tell you that to think of everyone you know that you grew up with that lived in Detroit and are now adults. Where do they live now? I have, you know, I have very few friends who decide to stay in Detroit. I'm not knocking the ones that move out because I was one of them. I'm just pointing out the obvious. I know more people in Detroit who don't pay taxes but generate income and make enough money to not to to not only own their home but uh, like cars too. Because obviously you're paying taxes, a uh, sales tax on your car every year every time you go. Um, Reading your registration, re- registration, but then they don't pay taxes, so they don't have a paycheck. Uh, they don't work a job that automatically withdraws their taxes from their paychecks. They don't pay a locality tax or a city tax or a state tax or an income tax or a federal tax, which all contributes to the school district. And then, you know, if you're a small business owner, all you have to do is file 1099. All that stuff can help you uh, take care of that. So these same people have kids in the system, but I don't need to explain that in full. So... Uh, I came across some very sad information that led me to believe to see a different angle. Um, the Detroit Public Schools Community District spends more per student than all but eight of the nation's 100 largest school districts. 
or we can just say the number is a little over 14,000. Even with all that money, the district still generated the nation's worst reading scores among low-income students. <clears throat> that Miami, and I had to just draw information from other places so that I can make a comparison so that I can you know, stress my, bring my point on home. The Miami-Dade district spends 8000 per student, so it's a little like $5,000 less than Detroit, and children, and children from low-income households there had the best literacy rates among the large cities. This is Miami Day. They're still they're considered a, a low income living area, but they had the of the hundred largest cities, they had the best um, reading. So Detroit gets the funds for their schools to stay open and they actually pay their teachers pretty well. So we can't blame it on the teachers because the teachers get make good money. I looked at the number. If if the average household income in Detroit uh, is twenty seven thousand, teachers make twenty starting off teachers make twenty thousand dollars above that. <clears throat> I know it's a struggle. I'm talking about the average teacher. I know like when teachers start, you know, they're just substitutes and they're filling in. They're not making that kind of money. But once they get into their career, the main ones make really good money as far as the cost of living. And you can't we can't say money right now. I just can't say money is an issue for like that. So, you know, if you want to say money, we would be taking funds away from students. But Michigan gives more funds to their students than any other city. But they don't do as well. So um, some may argue that teachers get paid more. I believe that they are paid pretty well if you consider the numbers. Uh, I would say if you want to improve schools and students and get rid of the bad teachers, because I think that's the problem, just you know filtering out the bad teachers. I talked to a teacher once at a father-daughter dance. <laughs> um, he told me, and I'm sure there's a 20-minute conversation to like 30 seconds, but the bad teachers hug the contract in the unions. So and then good teachers get recruited by other districts and get paid more to go to those schools. So you get the bad teachers hugging the union, you get the good teachers leaving. Before my daughter pulled me away, <laughs> I asked him what if it, the, the teachers were paid and promoted based off merit versus just writing a curriculum and showing up on time. And she pulled me away, so he didn't answer. But this isn't all teachers that I but I hear this a lot from teachers about bad teachers, even principals. So I personally know two teachers and I know two principals. Um, there's nothing that they can do because the unions protect them. But that's another day. Uh, the median for teachers in Detroit is 55K. So there's some teachers that make over that. Obviously, you start off a little, like a little less than 40,000. So um, there is a very good school district in Michigan. Um, it was one among the highest um, in, the, in the nation. Um, but it's about 30 miles west of Grand Rapids. Their teachers... Now, I'm just saying this as far as like teachers make the same across the board, no matter how good their students do, which is what I'm saying. Like maybe students would do like students and teachers would do better if they were um, paid based on merit. But their teachers make 60 K and that's their median. So just about five G's more than um, a teacher in Detroit. So um, we can't we got to count teachers out. We got to count the money out. So I can't say systemically that we are being held back by um Teachers or the schooling. The schooling is not holding teachers back. But if you want to see a change in teaching, you just got to vote in your district. You just have to vote. You can't wait every four years to vote. You got to vote for that stuff every time you have an opportunity to. So uh, schools do have the proper funding. And I'm not going to say all, but the numbers don't show that schools don't have the proper funding. I don't know how much it is to cost to run a school, but I do know 14000 per student is a lot of money uh, for the things that they need. Um uh, I I do I want to say this. 
I want to see a bill. That's what I want to see. I, I think, um, you know, with our local leaders, I want to see them show me a receipt to say this amount of money went to teachers, this amount of money went to building facilities, this amount of money went to the faculty, um, this amount of money went to the music, this amount of money went to sports, this amount of money went, went to academics. And then I want to see this amount of money went to, you know, um, the the like the basketball courts, the outside areas for this for other schools, the players. I want to see that bill. That's what I would say. I want to see where our money is going when we put in our taxes. I feel like if it's public, if, if it's public information for me, you to take my money. You know, everyone knows that if you're working, you're paying taxes. I want to see where it's going. That's where I am with that. <clears throat> All right, so he talked. You, you, the question was about um, jobs. Um, so I went to the Bureau of Labor Stats. That is a website that you can go to. It talks about um, who's working, where they're working, and what are they doing based off age and race. I only went to twenty-five and up because I feel like you know they changed the law where like you know your you know kids are graduating at a later age. People are like starting lives at a later 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 age. So I just want to like where I think people are kind of in their core living. And I think 25 is like you're probably graduated from a four year degree um, or in a in your you know master's program or doctor program. So so you're probably starting that like the good part of your life, I would like to believe. So that's the only reason why I looked up 25 and up. All right. So what I found out was based. Um, um, like we don't when we say where where we are as far as the like the the jobs that pay very well. So I just want I looked up a few companies. So I looked up uh, the banks because I feel like the banks um, they're one of those people that that were known to be you know not approving loans to black people so they couldn't move in certain areas. But it just that was the thing that dawned on my head to go look at banks. Um, so I looked at Chase. Chase top executives are four percent black. Um, now it sounds like a low number, but you gotta remember we are fourteen percent of the population, and and as any, you know, like let's you know, hundreds of people are smart, and then you and then you get to you know, a tenth of people are overly intelligent, and then you get to the to the top percentages where people are, are like just masterminds, and so if that's you know if we're fourteen percent of the population, like four percent of Chase top executives makes sense. Bank of America has 5% um, black executives. So those are the banks. Um, that was the first two numbers that had just popped up, popped up to me. <clears throat> um, and then I went and looked at the, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and it, um, the, it was a few graphs. The graph was, was, was pretty cool. It shows you the hundred percent of the population and, uh, how do I explain this? Um, so it broke the graph broke down um, the the occupation, the race, and the averages of what that race um, does. So, um, and I want to go through this really fast because now I'm getting to the point where like, and I'm just talking about numbers, and I don't want to lose you. So. The white, let's say, uh, 100% of the white population is working, of the working percent. So 100% of the white population is working. Of that 100%, like 35 to 40% are into 
uh, management and professional and related positions. So that means those are the those are the the um, highest paying jobs. So uh, so like your CEOs, um, business owners, like corporate business owners. So thirty five percent of the hundred the hundredth percent of white people are management professional. They're well paid, um, and then like. 10% of them are in service positions. Uh, like 20% of them are sales and office. And then um, a small percentage um, is into production, transportation, material moves. So like your regular jobs. Those numbers are almost, almost exact with the 100% of black people that are working. Um, the only difference is that we have a larger percentage of people who are in the service industry Um along with Hispanic. Uh, so blacks or, or African-Americans and Latino or Hispanic have a larger population in the service industry. We also have a larger per population in the in the industrial production, transportation, that kind of thing, industry. Um, and then all of, like, so white, black, and Asian um, all have a very small percentage of working in construction or maintenance or, you know, like natural resources, you know, that kind of job. But Hispanic, and I know this sounds so racist, but the Hispanic has a larger population of that. You know, they of the of the four races that we're discussing, white, black, Asian, Hispanic dominate the 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 natural job or the construction and maintenance jobs kind of a thing. So um but then the crazy thing I saw was that Asians, Asians have the largest percentage of people who make the most money. <laughs> so and that's in the United States. I don't I don't even I don't I have to look into what companies they own or how they make so much money or why they're into these jobs, but they have the largest percentage. And um blacks were higher than Hispanic and Latino. So to just to to tell you to answer your question if we're systemically messing up or um holding black people back or showing system systemic racism in jobs, 41% of employed um, in the higher paying major occupational jobs, 41% are whites, 31% are black and 20%, 23% are Hispanic. So, um, the largest percentage was Asian and they're like, uh, like a little over 50%. So the numbers don't show me that systemically we're being held back, um, there. So, Now, as far as politicians go, I mean, according to a lot of people, we just we just lost our, or I'm sorry, our you know our black president had ran his course, um, and then there's a lot of women um, in the political, and there's a lot of black, and I'm not sure the percentage, but I can look, look that up for you too. I just um, didn't get a chance to, but you have a, a lot of black leaders. I don't um, even know where to begin to to, to start with that one. But it would be the same percentage as it is across every other job where it's obviously going to be majority white and then it thins out through the other races. I feel like I got lazy on that one, but it was a lot of research looking up the school stuff. But uh, before I get out of here, two things. And I think this is going to be a little bit of an emotional thing. 
I um, when, when I was growing up, my brothers and I, uh, all of our friends are all younger than us than one, except one. And if you ever talk to any of our friends, we always looked out for our friends. Uh, whether it's money, whether it's going somewhere, whether it's getting a job. Like I vouched for so many friends to get jobs. And I, I looked out for so many friends. But you can only do so much. But I will say, that little that you do helps. And one of my closest friends, to this day, I'm so proud of him. Um, you know, he had he was like one of six. His oldest brother had a baby before he was 20. His two older sisters had babies before they graduated high school. One didn't graduate high school. Um, he did live in a single parent home. But, his, I mean, I think his mother did the best that she could. Uh, his dad did take a part of his life. I feel like his dad could have been in his life a whole lot more. But he he let it go. Um, but I know his dad loved him. It's just different kind of love. And then his uh, and then his two younger sisters were just they were just wild and promiscuous. Now they're they're still good people. I don't want to take away from that. But these this is how they were. This is the household he grew up in. But he had an he had a talent. He could hoop. He could play some ball. And he went off to college in another state. He was brave enough to go to Iowa to go to school, and he took his his talents, and he works there now. And but, you know, we used to play basketball with him. We used to take him with us wherever we went. And I think we're a good, like, 10 to 15 years older than him. We looked, we took him in like a little brother. Like, uh, if my little brother would say anything about it, he would tell you that he treated him like a little brother, too. Uh, and it's always good to hear from him. It's always good to joke around with him, to hear that he's still doing well because, you know, he doesn't fall under the stereotypical category of how, like, some African-Americans or, or black people can turn out based off their their – the card, the deck that's stacked against them. So, um, so if you know, help other, be a big brother to somebody. You know, be a brother to somebody, and help them out. I, you know, like I would vouch for. Well, I, that kind of thin, but I used to vouch for a lot of people to get jobs. Black friends, they just kind of let me down over time, so I just stopped doing it because. You know, like if I can't get people hired to stay and they can like you, I can't be trusted. So my company can't trust me and I'm trying to grow with that company. The other thing is one of the guys I work with. We talk about this a lot. We talk about fathers in the household and I've done a podcast about it. But we talk about the, the having both parents in the household. Now, I know it's like the percentage of divorce is going up, breakups going up. People are having two different parents or two separate households. But. As long as both parents are actively a part of their child's life, their child has a higher chance of turning out better in life. They just got to be a part of their lives. They just got to show interest in their life. And my parents stuck together. They stayed together. My brothers and I turned out okay. So you just got to have a very, you know, mother figure in the house and a father figure in the house. I'm a strong believer, believer of that. And... I think wherever you want your kids to end up, they more than likely will end up if you work towards it. You know, uh, I my my fiance wanted to move to Lambertville because of the school district. 
You know, she didn't want to, she didn't want to have to fight her husband for what school district they went to. She didn't feel like Toledo Public was a school good district, good school district. She didn't feel like Whitmer was a good school, school district. I, however, never thought about it. I always thought wherever my kids go, because they have both of us, they're going to turn out okay. Now I know some schools have a better advantage than other schools, but ultimately my kids are still going to turn out okay, if not better. So, um, go just think about that going forward, like. Maybe our focus shouldn't be about white police and black men. Maybe our focus should be black men and black women doing better for themselves. And, you know, that cycle starts. And if we can just get that ball rolling, I mean, it, it'll just, it'll turn into an avalanche. And we won't even ever have to have this kind of, we won't have to ever say Black Lives Matter again. Anyway, that's it for me today. <clears throat> Stay safe out there, guys.